Hi everyone, welcome to ESG Decoded. I'm your host today, Caitlin Allen, and I am welcoming Dr. Anna Natsvalovaite to the podcast. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Natsvalovaite is a highly accomplished researcher specializing in international human rights law and sovereign wealth funds. So really excited to dive into this topic, ESG, uh, we're usually talking about the private sector, but today we're going to learn a lot about sovereign wealth funds from one of the experts. Um, Anna is an expert advisor to the British Standards Institution on the Committee of Experts on Sustainable Finance, where she contributes to the development of the sustainable finance framework. And um, I'm not going to say more because your career journey is so fascinating. And so let's start there. Tell us how you got, how you became an expert on sovereign wealth funds. How did that journey begin and how did you get here? Well, of course, I'd love to share this with you and your audience. First of all, thank you for having me, Caitlin. It's a pleasure to be here with you. My story is that I was a human rights lawyer and I specialized in protection of children in armed conflict. Back in New York with the International Crisis Group, which is a conflict prevention and resolution group, we worked alongside the UN and the special advisor um, on children, so the UN Rapporteur for UNICEF, Radhika Kumaraswani. There are always, at any given time, a lot of conflicts in the world and children are very often involved in the heavy and difficult decisions that we have to take every day. And I was a part of those decisions. I was a part of ensuring that as we go forward as a community, as humanity, we make sure that conflicts don't repeat themselves and, um, and children are kept safe. But I was very frustrated with the way that finances were distributed. In my view, there was a lot more that could be done. But I understand that in entities such as the UN, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to ensure that the funds are raised and deployed in a way that nothing disappears, but all the benefits are reaped from every single cent that goes into the UNICEF and UN system itself. I looked at the 2008 financial crisis as an opportunity because I saw that sovereign wealth funds were really bailing a lot of corporations out and making a difference at a geopolitical time, which was incredibly difficult for many reasons. And I went back to Oxford and did a PhD or a DPhil in regulation of sovereign wealth funds. So I went from a specialization of international human rights law, especially in the field of children, to specialization in the finance sector, which was very closely connected to human rights as well, because finance on many levels is human rights when it comes to ESG and sustainable development goals. So this is how I ended up completely changing the route which I was taking, but really wanting to make a difference at a large scale and making sure there was a way that entities, both public and private, could work together and find the finances needed to make a difference. So let's level set for people that may not know what a sovereign wealth fund is. Could you explain what it is? And you, you teased a little at why um, you chose that route, but why is it such a high impact space to work in? Of course. Well, let me start off with as to what sovereign wealth funds are. 
um, they are state-owned investment vehicles, and they manage and invest surplus assets on behalf of sovereign nations. These funds have gained significant prominence in recent decades as countries have seeked to diversify their revenue streams, um, accumulate wealth, and enhance the economic stability. In this environment, it is very important to do so. Sovereign wealth funds represent an essential component of nations' financial fiscal um, arsenal, providing policymaking, um, policymakers with the work to ensure that future generations are very well cared for. And before I move on, I want to talk about one exemplary sovereign wealth fund, which is the Government Pension Fund Global of Norway. Established in the 90s, it is valued at over $1.4 trillion. And it has a preliminary objective of safeguarding the nation's wealth for future generations. They follow a prudent and diversified investment strategy. They allocate across a range of financial instruments, which includes stocks, bonds, and real estate on a global scale. And this approach ensures the fund's resilience to market fluctuations and facilitates long-term value creation. There are many funds like that. Another compelling illustration would be the Sovereign Wealth Fund in the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, known as ADIA, in the United Arab Emirates. And although these are very different countries, you have Norway on one side of the world and you have got um, United Arab Emirates on the other, they do a very similar job in terms of trying to diversify investments for future generations. ADI is also one of the larger funds in the world, but it serves as a crucial pillar of the UAE's economic diversification efforts. So with an estimated amount of money of just over $700 billion, ADIA has also demonstrated a remarkable ability uh, for generation of substantial returns through astute investment decisions. And um, by allocating the capital across various sectors and geographies, these funds really foster economic growth and reinforce global financing standing of their nations and, of course, of their generations to come by making sure that they are nurturing local industries, investing across sectors that are various as well as geographies such as infrastructure, real estate, private equity, and I could go on for the very long list of that. Um, I'm someone who is very passionate about sovereign wealth funds, and I could talk about that for hours. So I always try very hard to make sure that I could perhaps explain a little bit more to people who don't work with them as to what is the real benefit of a sovereign wealth fund. So sovereign wealth funds go beyond mere investment. They are instrumental in advancing a nation's strategic objective. And that means enhancing national competitiveness, supporting domestic industries, promoting economic diplomacy, which is just so important to mention, especially at this geopolitical state that we're in um, globally. For instance, Mubadala, which is um, the Mubadala Investment Company. It's another prominent sovereign wealth fund. It's based in Abu Dhabi, UAE, and it has very actively pursued a mandate to diversify the UAE's economy by investing in high-growth sectors, such as technology, renewable energy, and healthcare. And that is done through targeted investments and partnerships. And Badala has successfully attracted leading global companies to establish operations in the UAE, has created so many jobs and fostered innovation. So it is building a knowledge-based economy. And by combining this kind of investment practices and strategic partnerships, 
as well as responsible investing principles, sovereign wealth funds play a pivotal role in shaping economic trajectory of nations going forward, as well as securing future generations' well-being. As we look at COP28 in the UAE in 21 days, no less, we understand that sovereign wealth funds have played a crucial role in ensuring that Finance is firmly placed on the map, and it's a strong pillar of ensuring the well-being of generations to come. Yeah, thank you for that explanation, because I do think that helps folks that maybe weren't familiar with with this space understand the the level of <clears throat> the level of reach, the impact, and and you know it's beyond just a an investment fund, right? It's also a vehicle for for achieving. Um, priorities like sustainable development goals. So yeah. um, <laughs> so let's move to that. So do funds that you work with have sustainable finance investment strategies? Is that, um, you know, often a, a company or a, sorry, a country's um, economic development priorities are sustainable development priorities? You know, do they have kind of explicit sustainable finance strategies as well? Yes, a number of funds, if not all of them, have sustainable development strategies. They have to because it is within a mandate of every fund to ensure that they prioritize returns, but by doing no harm to future generations. So it might be worded differently, but ESG is always there. As I said, sovereign wealth funds do manage substantial amounts of assets, often in trillions of dollars. The sheer scale of these funds provides them with the capacity to make significant investments. And that can have a substantial impact on capital flows, industries, and economies. So whilst their sheer size grants them ability to act as key players in global financial markets, shape investment trends and have influence over companies and markets. At the same time, they have a very strong social responsibility to ensure that over a long-term investment horizon, that everyone benefits from the investments, not just financially. So here we talk about the environmental factor, the social aspect, and of course, the governments. Um, they focus on generating sustainable returns over extended periods and align the investment strategies with long-term economic and social objectives. Consequently, sovereign wealth funds are very able to and do contribute to the development and stability of economies in the long run. And that includes ESG and being guided by sustainable development goals. It reminds me the first, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on a podcast episode, but one of the, the I would say early on post Paris, I went to a post Paris agreement. I went to a conference on sustainable finance. It was, I honestly can't remember the year, maybe like a year after TCFD came out, something like that, like 2018-ish, 17 maybe. Um, and I went to a conference in New York uh, on sustainable finance. And um, it was funny because most of the speakers were private companies, et cetera. And then the keynote was the um, head of Japan's Sovereign Wealth Fund. And he got up and was like, okay, everybody, <laughs> Y'all are talking about long-term, it's three to five years. Our fund is looking at long-term as a hundred years, the lifetime mm -hmm. of our citizens. As, and, and kind of just 
you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, having these aha moments, right? Um, so it's interesting, right? Because the the incentives are are different. And yes. the incentives really require the stewards of that capital to be thinking about, how, you know, you can't be short-sighted if you're trying to get a hundred year ROI. <laughs> so I think it's, it's fascinating. So tell us a little bit about your research on this. I know you, you're, mm. you have a lot of active projects um, re with re regard to um, investing in communities and other interesting topics. So walk us through some of your, your recent research on this. With great pleasure. It's something that we have been working now for the last year and a half. And the research question itself is sovereign wealth and investment and cooperatives, employee-owned businesses and social enterprises. That is focused around sustainable development goals and international commitments to transition the global economy to net zero highlight the need for financial strategies that go beyond short-term financial returns, much to the point that you have just said now, and um, encompass environmental, social, and governance dimensions for sustainable development. So in this context, we have investigated the transformative potential of sovereign wealth funds and other state capital, um, diversifying their investments towards cooperatives, employee-owned businesses, and social enterprises, which tend to do better aligned to sustainable development goals and the net zero goals. The motivation for this particular research project came from sovereign wealth funds committing to the SDGs and net zero, while the investment strategies on some occasions have failed to match the rhetoric and certainly when it comes to investing in mutual and social enterprises. Now, social enterprises are often funded with, uh, founded with the goal of promoting social and environmental sustainability, and to do so whilst earning a return to ensure that such enterprises itself are sustainable. And mutual organizations, which is very interesting, by which we mean member-owned rather than shareholder-owned, where the members are typically customers, employees, producers, local communities, or some hybrid combination of these stakeholders, tend to promote social sustainability due to their local roots and relatively small scale, and are often committed to environmental sustainability, both for the reason social enterprises are, and because of the local aspects of things such as pollution and environmental sustainability. So, for us, there was a lot of motivation of ensuring that communities are involved and stay together and are able to grow and have a say in what really happens around them. And the emphasis on the sustainable development goals and the transformative potential of sovereign wealth funds and other state capital in sustainable finance was of such paramount importance globally and in the context of global climate commitments, if you look at the discussions and resolutions that were made um, during COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh and proposed for the upcoming COP28, they all emphasize the need for sustainable investment and finance. So we aligned our research on sovereign wealth fund and their capacity to diversify investments towards sustainable practices. And um, as we did that, we thought of climate change and promotion of sustainable developments because 
as so many nations globally pledge to reduce carbon emissions and transition to green economies, the role of state capital in investing in social projects and sustainable businesses it becomes even more critical. What challenges are you uncovering in this space? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Like, of course, we, if we have a 100-year ROI goal and we want to grow our fund for future generations, we have to understand these externalities. Um, we, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to mitigate the risks um, related to social and environmental issues like civil unrest, like human rights violations, like climate change, et cetera, et cetera. But have you come across any challenges to um, really integrating those considerations into the investment philosophies? Yes, and just like you say, there are, there is a multitude of challenges right now, especially with the perfect storm geopolitically, globally. And uh, everybody is focusing on, of course, maintaining peace, maintaining good relationships with the neighboring countries. We have to remember that the issue of food security and water security is coming into play. But through the research, there were there were a couple of things that were really challenging. When you look at advancing of future sovereign wealth funds going forward in investments, I would say that we have the governance and accountability issue because maintaining strong governance frameworks and ensuring accountability is very crucial for any investment body, let alone sovereign wealth funds, and enhancing transparency, preventing corruption, adhering to rigorous risk managing practices. They're all challenges. And sovereign wealth funds must continue to uphold very high standards of governance to maintain public trust and confidence. It's citizens' money we're talking about. I mentioned already economic and geopolitical risks. They are exposed to economic and geopolitical risks like any other business, including market volatility, geopolitical tensions, trade disputes, and regulatory changes, because these risks impact performance and stability of investments and require very robust risk assessment and management strategies. Um, as we're talking about sustainability and responsible investment, the focus on sustainability and responsible investment grows. Sovereign wealth funds face the challenge of integrating in ESG factors in their investment decisions. And it's just what they're going to have to do because balancing financial returns with long-term sustainability goals requires very careful consideration and expertise in ESG analysis and implementation for future. And finally, I would say the shifting global dynamics. Sovereign wealth funds operate in a very dynamic global landscape, as other investment um, companies do. But evolving economic, technological, geopolitical trends impact investment opportunity and asset allocation strategies. So adapting to changing dynamics and identifying emerging trends and sectors for investment requires agility, continuous monitoring, um, of investment global landscape, of global investment landscape. And I would say very, very importantly, standardization of regulation and legislation in the world of finance. And I mean, there's some trends in that direction <laughs> a little bit more than before, but that last one is, um, it's, yeah, that's a complicated one for sure. I mean, I feel like skills building, you know, capacity building, all of that is 
possible. It's just a matter of putting time and putting people on it. Maybe you have some training classes, consultants, et cetera. Like the capacity building thing doesn't scare me, you know, but the, <laughs> making sure all the regulations align. Ooh, I don't know if that's, I mean, I don't that's know a tough one. It's, it's very, it's tough very one. tough. And mm -hmm. I truly do not have an answer yeah. as to how long that might yeah. take, but everybody yeah. needs to be on the same page. So ESG yeah. means different things for all of us. And, and by design, right, it's intended to be produce an analysis of what's material for that company or that entity. But as, as you have kind of so many layers as a sovereign wealth fund too, that you're adding in from, from a private sector institution. So I can only imagine it's, it's not a, not an easy job. <laughs> no, it's not. not. But, <laughs> it does have its opportunities because yes. I, I, <laughs> yes. Well, um, well, infrastructure investments, for example, so the need of infrastructure development is presented there. There are a lot of opportunity. So investing in infrastructure such as transportation, renewable energy, social infrastructure, that of course provides stable long-term returns while also contributing to growth and sustainability. That's great. We have got technology and innovation, so sovereign wealth funds can leverage their capital and long-term investment horizon to support technology and innovation. Investing in disruptive technologies, so venture capital, emerging sectors to foster economic diversification, as you said, job creation and drive future growth. Finally, SDGs, um, sovereign wealth funds align the investment strategies with the SDGs, which means they invest in sectors that contribute to sustainable development. And that aligns beautifully with investment in clean energy, healthcare, education, poverty elevation, and of course generates positive social and environmental impact alongside financial returns. So it's all possible. Also partnerships and investments and co-investments. So you collaborate with other sovereign wealth funds, institutional investments in private sector. It brings great joint ventures and co-investments, which enhance deal flow, diversify risk, leverage collective expertise. Um, you have access to new markets and there are a lot of synergies and investment strategies that one can look into. But I think as we look at exploring innovative investment approaches, such as impact investment, green finance, alternative asset classes, sovereign wealth funds can be leaders and they can embrace new investment models and technologies to enhance return, as you say, mitigate risk. The position of sovereign wealth funds as leaders in the evolving investment landscape is very big it just needs they, they need to find their feet and um, find that balance between of course being sovereign and having the interest of their own citizens as a priority but hand in hand with ensuring that they are expanding and building new relationships we live in a very global community that is very local yet you need to find a balance and make sure that we're able to promote sustainable practices and deliver long-term for all stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And what do you say, like if you had the crystal ball and in your opinion, I guess, as an expert on sovereign wealth funds, what do you think is the future of these funds? I mean, can they, it sounds like you have faith that they can align their footing and find their footing and know you know, their role, but, but what, what would the future be? Maybe your ideal future, um, but also kind of some of the trends that you see um, forthcoming in the space. 
Thank you for asking me this. I am I'm an optimist. I believe that together we can grow and ensure that we create a better future. So during the research, I use qualitative approach, for example, and I interview a range of stakeholders in the very shifting geopolitical space from CEOs of sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, investment funds, regulators, advisors, CSG professionals, academics, I mean, politicians, legislators, I could go on. And what my interactions have highlighted that we have a need for more harmonized regulation, self-assessment highlights, and enhanced transparency in investment strategy. So for me, I, I would like to say that there is a need of appreciation for things that are different. We have to do things differently. We have to look at mutuals and social enterprises because they can deliver financial returns in addition to social environmental sustainability. And although the excuse is still made that sovereign wealth funds cannot invest into businesses like mutuals because they have a duty to deliver financial returns, but if we as communities think about the longevity of our planet and the benefit of generations to come, we're able to put the business aspect of returns that are instant on a back burner and just be a little bit more patient by creating communities that are supportive of each other. So if I had a crystal ball, I would say that I hope we'll make progress in at least two areas. We will make sure that we no longer are ignorant about alternative investments that go hand in hand with community development. And we will, <laughs> and we will scale up investments needed by mutual organizations, so that we can create new intermediaries for investment to ensure that organizations are able to grow through looking at development of local communities. That way, we will never again have to see farmers or workers, teachers, anybody have to leave their community because the resources there were finite. There is enough to share, there's enough there to share the wealth around to ensure that we create permanency for people. Um, for example, with KKR, there are some great case studies, two case studies that particularly fall in mind. And KKR um, is the, the large private equity firm. Indeed, yes. Go ahead. And they are very, um, they're very big on mutuals now. In the last 10 years, they have been investing into them. And um, the gentleman uh, th that is responsible for it, Stavros, he has shared uh, the information on these case studies very wildly, wildly with the universities in the United States, and now we're talking about it in the UK. But um, there was a study on, I think it's CHI overhead doors in Illinois, um, garage door company with 800 employees. And in 2015, KKR became the fourth private equity company to step in and buy the business. So high turnover there. Um, but the company itself had a high turnover, low engagement, and quality and safety issues. And what they did, they readily admitted that implementing a newly expanded employee ownership and engagement model 
provided a very challenging, but over time, great worker morale and operational efficiency and the productivity improved. So what happened in the next seven years that KKR was able to sell CHI for $3 billion, generating a 10 times return on its investment. But there were basic things such as one of the drivers delivering the products from the company because he was now seeing himself as an owner of the company, as a co-owner, not somebody who was just employed to do an hourly shift. He said, we are not doing a good job at distributing the products. We're wasting mileage. We're wasting time. There should be a better way of doing it. And he was actually taken in by the logistics department and he helped them to make sure that distribution was more um, efficient. So people are always waiting for an opportunity to stand up and take ownership and participate. We just need to give them the opportunity. Fascinating. Thank you for that, Anna. Um, just a wonderful conversation today. Uh, is there anything else that we're missing except me commenting on the fact that we both wore turquoise today? <laughs> yes, we both did wear turquoise today. We did not There's plan it. <laughs> I am, may I just say, I'm really, really impressed and pleased that you have shown such great interest in this topic. It's very helpful to have these discussions and it's so yes. wonderful to have a platform to share one's research on and mm -hmm. have wider conversations. So I wholeheartedly would like to say thank you for asking the questions that you have and engaging in this. It is important that we look for alternatives that will take us to a next level in community engagement and investment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's absolutely our pleasure. And thank you so much for your time. I know you're, every time I see you on LinkedIn, you're like in a different country <laughs> flying around somewhere. So it's just wonderful um, that you were able to carve out the time for us. And I do think it's, it's a really cool niche topic that is, you know, so, so impactful and for, for real people. And I love that you shared a, a local, you know, you're based in UK, you're yeah. originally Lithuanian, but yeah. you know, there's, a, I think it was Illinois, the case study you just shared from KPR, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, it matters in every community. And I think the more people that understand um, what sustainable investing means, what sustainable development goals are, um, the more we can innovate in the space. And so um, we really are grateful for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. The pleasure is entirely mine. Thank you for your time.